0: Hey there, Comply Podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's episode. This week's podcast is part two of a conversation between our SCP of Sales, John Zanzarella, and two heavy hitters in marketing compliance Alexandra McGarris, partner at Venable LLP, and John Henson, general counsel at Consumer Affairs. If you haven't listened to the first part of their conversation, we recommend you do that first and then head back here to see how they wrap up their conversation with the following topics how to mitigate risk across marketing channels. How to prioritize communication methods for compliance, regulatory hot topics and expectations for 2023, and how to share regulatory updates that affect the business with the appropriate teams. Thanks for listening and enjoy.
1: With that, I want to transition to one of the other things the report covered. And we talked a lot about this concept of omni-channel or marketing compliance monitoring. And the reason we talked about that is because that's Lines business, right? We are an omni-channel sales and marketing monitoring solution. But one of the things that stood out was that, you know, omni-channel continues to grow. I think about four or five years ago, we thought of social media monitoring as maybe just Facebook monitoring. And today within that one channel, there could be Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Reddit, TikTok, and they continue to sort of come out and, um, as ways that companies are communicating with consumers. But in the report, it said 58% of organizations lack compliance monitoring and at least one customer communication channel. Um, John, I'll start with you. You know, why do you think that is? And, and how do you prioritize internally when you're thinking of things like UDAP or truth and lending? you know, how to prioritize those communication methods?
2: Um, It's hard, especially in a business that moves fast. Um, And the best way to do it again, like I hate, like I feel like John, you can just put me on repeat, right? (laughs) You have to understand what the business is doing and uh, you have to meet with your marketing team regularly. You have to meet with your marketing heads regularly. Um, I would say from a prioritization standpoint, for us specifically, we're very focused on UDEP uh, as a whole, just period. And obviously, as we get into other verticals, um, you know, we'll look at some of the other things as well. But like the number one drum I beat at the office is UDEP. And as long as you have a good framework internally um, about, how you as the compliance team thinks about UDAP and how uh you can pass it along in a simple message to that team. Uh, it makes that a lot easier. Uh, there's nothing better than being internal compliance and having someone repeat back what you said to you later. So you know we were going to do this, but we remembered that X, Y, and Z. Oh my God, like that's the best thing ever. Um, but the uh so prioritize UDAP. I also am very very interested in um, from a marketing channel specific mix social um and specifically there how we're marketing to who we're marketing to mm-hmm. um like are you doing a look-alike audience in facebook are we retargeting our prior customers um you know all those questions have to be asked and have to be understood by the compliance team, because that is um, an area of definite interest of mine as well as our regulators as well. So that's kind of the two big prioritizations that I make.
1: Yeah, that's definitely helpful. And I think about sort of PerformLine's evolution, we started as a web monitoring tool and then based on client's needs, we started monitoring calls. And then based on client needs, we moved into emails and social media. Alex, when you look at it and you're counseling companies, do you think there's any one of those areas that are more risk than the others? Or do you think they all sort of carry equal responsibility when it comes to something like UDAP?
3: Um, I mean, you can't really isolate any more like a specific message um, and say that everything, you know, that is the, the cause of a UDAP and everything else is there for safe or not tainted. I mean, when you think about the way my clients and you all are mar- are marketing, it is all designed to be interconnected, right? I mean, you're seeing messages in different formats. Ultimately, it's prompting, you know, the, the you're getting prompted to visit a website typically to make the, the purchase or the transaction. I mean, obviously there's still, you know, brick and mortar and um, and some telephone, but you know, ultimately, all the messages ultimately are getting you to to take to take action. Um, and so, you know, what regulators look at it is, you know, everything that a consumer was, cons- you know, exposed to, um, and you know, during that 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 journey, um, is fair game and has to be, you know, adequately, you know, disclosures need to be adequately made. Um, all the messages need to be accurate and substantiated and not misleading and all you know so it, you you really can't look at one media or channel or in isolation um that said I think anytime something's new um you know or new word there's there's you know it's harder to know exactly how the mistakes can happen right so I think by this point you know with email um you know how to craft a marketing email that's compliant with you know the requirements um but can't spam and in other words you know it's, it's, pretty well known. Um but when you think about some of the newer channels, it's just for for folks that are, you know, more in compliance and legal, um, that don't, you know, use the 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 social media channels as much, well. it's just harder to kind of predict where the 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 potential pitfalls will be. Um, but it's but everything has to be looked at um, together.
1: Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that is just, you know, some organizations may be more focused on one area than another. And I think there are some ways to, to take a risk-based approach. But you're right, Alex, that in general, the company has to be market, marching in the same direction when it comes to to UDAP. And, and I think in addition to the monitoring and making sure the disclosures are there and, and you know, uh, your agents on the phone aren't saying anything that can be deemed as, um, you know, potentially deceitful, you also need to have a way that you can show that proof to leadership, to regulators, to, you know, uh, individuals when it is asked for, either on a state and federal level. And that's something that we see, you know, come up a lot uh, with, with customers of ours who are just leveraging reporting and different tools to be able to have those communications. All right. The last topic that we wanted to talk about today, and this is a, is a big one, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to share on it, is just around what are some of the top regulatory hot topics that people who were surveyed in the state of marketing compliance report found uh, were really important to them. And we're looking at you know kind of both federal and state level regulatory changes. Um, they've both been active lately, taking more aggressive approaches to consumer protection. It just feels to me when we're in challenging macroeconomic times, the spotlight is even more important on making sure that consumers are protected and they're getting, you know, marketed to accurately, especially when it comes to financial products. Um, But we've seen the CFPB, the FTC, OCC, the states of New York and California, uh, all sort of increased scrutiny around topics like UDAP and data privacy. And then there's also been increased focus. And I know, John, you've talked a lot about this uh, in some of your LinkedIn posts, Around things like dark patterns uh, and a relationship between a bank and a fintech in these, you know, banking as a service partnerships. So at the most broad level, John, we'll start with you. You know, what can we expect in 2023 uh, from federal and state level perspective on some of those topics like UDAP, data privacy, dark patterns?
2: Um, I have said that my predictions are going to be uh reviews. It's going to be a giant focus. Um, and Consumer Affairs is essentially a review site. So we're obviously really focused on that. Um, I think there's going to be, uh, some more dark pattern information, um, coming out. Uh, I did not predict the CFPB's, uh, mortgage loan comparison, uh, advisory opinion, which was, uh, pretty, Important for our industry, um, the and then the other one that's going to be very interesting over the next few months is the FCC's uh, guidance around TCPA and consent. Um, but what's interesting is when you look at you know, I'm going to go back to reviews and dark patterns for a second. And Alex, I'd love your opinion on this. Um, like we can call it whatever we want. That's Udap. It's Udap. Like everything is UDAP, everything. And I would actually argue that um, if you read the CFPB's advisory opinion on the mortgage comparison shopping, there's a lot of UDAP in there too. So um, that's why that is constantly something that I hit home at, um, at Consumer Affairs is everything is UDAP. You have to understand what we're telling people. You have to understand how consumers are seeing it um and what you think is best for the business is not best for the business if it causes you to have problems um so you know and i've said before john you've heard me say it before like tell the customer what you're going to do and then do that like that's how you avoid your debt problems you tell them exactly what's going to happen and then that happens and anything if you fall outside of that that's going to cause you problems and that's regardless of reviews um, or dark patterns um and especially those two as we look as we think about the FTC but Alex would love your opinion on well, opinions sure. on that.
3: um so customer reviews is top of my list too um because I think finally um, regulators understand um, how they're being used um, by by businesses um and maybe I think regulars have taken a little bit too far um, in terms of what they think um, an average customer understands when they see reviews and how they use that information. Um, that said, I do think that um the extent you're trying to harness the power of customer feedback as a, you know not you know as a, as a relatively cheap and organic, Way to promote whatever it is you sell, you need to do it in a way that is um, transparent, right? And so, some of the earlier cases that the FTC has brought that actually I have worked on um, were pretty cutting edge in terms of, you know, you you can, you know, you're used to, you know, cherry picked, you know, reviews on a website, you know, um, where. The only reviews that are highlighted are a handful, and they're all positive, right? Like we all were used to that, you know, um, you know, in analog. Now you're able to get thousands and tens of thousands of reviews for every single transaction um, or interaction. Even even if you have to buy something to get a prompt to submit, right, a review for something. So the technology allows you to take so much information. And so, as a result, when you're presenting that on your websites, as and it looks like it's comprehensive, it better be comprehensive. And so, allowing the negatives, not just the positives, and having most importantly a objective set of criteria when you are deciding what to publish on your website, because not everything needs should be published, right? And that's and that's something that actually was not easy to convince the regulators that you know there should be ability to to. Um, moderate what is put up on on a website, but having and I think that's where technology, um, like what PerformLine offers, is great because having someone to manually go through that is expensive. It's not realistic. It's not a good use of resources. But you can definitely you know have crawls and looking you know for for finding things that you know need to be taken down or, or put up. Um, second, with respect to dark patterns, I completely agree with John. At the end of the day, it's just. It's gotta be deceptive or unfair in order for it to be illegal. Mm-hmm. So just slapping the term dark pattern on something doesn't make it illegal. It makes it sexy and interesting to talk about. <laughs> it's a great, you know, um, and it connects with some, you know, some part of you know the design world that, you know, their whole existence is figuring out how to optimize an experience, an a, you know, a digital experience. Um But it needs to still meet the test of what is considered, you know, what is deception or unfairness under the law in order for it to be illegal. And you should be um, looking at these design features on your apps and website through those lenses. That has not changed. What's what's changed is that, you know, I think um, finally regulators are understanding that because we're interacting with brands uh, in so many ways, um, it does need to be looked at holistically. So, you know, one of the, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric from the FTC and CFPB on dark patterns. There's only been a few cases, and when you look at what the rhetoric is and what the cases are, there's a huge discrepancy. You know, you read the, the rhetoric, and it's like everything is illegal, right? Everything's a dark pattern. When you look at the actual cases that they've brought, um, it it goes back to the it's back to the fundamentals. Um, but one of the, the bigger ones they brought was against um, one of the credit bureaus and now in litigation, but basically the ads that, you know, the digital ads that were being served were about getting your free credit score, which everyone wants, right? There's, that's obviously a very appealing call to action. But when you actually finally, you know, clicked on it and were taken to all the pages, you actually were subscribing To monitor a monitoring product and not just getting your credit score. And so you could see how that could easily happen where you have different people in a marketing team, that ones that are responsible for the ads that are being served, and the ones that are responsible for like taking the people that end up on the website and moving them through the the various web pages. And it's like, oh, it's an opportunity to sell the monitoring product that has, you know, a monthly fee that you have to, you know, enroll, you have to cancel out of to stop paying. And so anything that's on a continuity basis is going to get more scrutiny under like a dark patterns analysis. Um, Anything that, you know, the initial, the top of the funnel that got the consumer to interact with you, if that messaging is different than ultimately what they're being offered, that's going to, you know, receive a lot of scrutiny. And I think everything else we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about countdown clocks and, you know, shame confirming where it's like, are you sure you don't want to buy this? Right. Or where it's like, you know, 15,000 other people just bought this, you know, insurance for your airline ticket. You sure you don't want to buy it? Ultimately, whether or not um, regulators start bringing actions for those types of, you know, marketing gimmicks is remains to be seen, but. There are definitely things that um, companies are doing that are clearly deceptive, um, that should be on notice now, need to be looked at. And what I always tell my clients is, if you're going to build a website or an app, at least have one person with a lens towards compliance or legal look at it. Not just having the you know user experience team build these Apps and websites for you—they don't fully understand what they're looking for. That you know, they they want to optimize, and the whole point of these regulations, that you know, disclosures, is to add friction. Whereas a user X person's job is to, re, you know, remove friction, and those two things are fundamentally at odds with each other. And I think talked to, I talked—I had a user experience come to a panel. I did a user experience designer to a panel I did on dark patterns. And, you know, he said, you know, my job is to optimize the consumer's experience on the app. If, you know, if someone told me that this disclosure needs to be up, I'm not going to not put it up. Of course, I'm going to do it, but I need to be told that it needs to be there. Because otherwise, I'm going to see it as friction. It is a non-positive, you know, experience for the customer. And so you need to really partner with the design folks, um, not just the ones that are writing copy, right? Like that or building the sites and apps, yep. which is kind of a new thing.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Alex. And, and going back, John, to what you've been talking about the uh, the whole webinar around you know understanding the business, communicating with the business. I'm just curious. So take something like the upcoming FTC guidance on TCPA. When something like that comes out, what is your process for sort of digesting that information? And then are you are you bullet pointing that for leadership? Are you sort of sharing information internally, maybe with marketing or with the user experience team? as regulations come up that you think affect that part of the business?
2: Yeah, so I have a um, standard email that I send out. It's usually three to four bullets. Here's what you need to know. And then it says further discussion below, right? Um, And then actually for the FCC thing, I did a um, additional like PowerPoint with screenshots of our current experience. And then saying like, "Here's here's what we're currently doing. Um, I mean, full disclosure, you can know, go on our site. We have a link to a brand page and our consent disclosure, right? Um, there's lots of reasons for that. We can get into that, but we have it, right? Um, and I said, here's suggestions on how to change that in the future if we want to. Um, and you know, everybody knows when I send it, I, like that is suggestions with roughly 35 minutes worth of thought into it and happy to discuss further um, and like reiterate it. But like these are possible solutions to this. Right. You especially on something like that, that is. um, It's not a significant problem for us. I'll be honest to say that Um, because of the nature of our business, the size of our business, not a significant problem. We can we can work around it. But I knew that there was going to be so much rhetoric around it that, especially in our industry, that people are going to, you know, setting their hair on fire about how it's going to kill the industry and all that, um, that like I wanted our team to know this could be a problem. Here's some ideas around it. I'm not married to any of them, but like we can, we can figure this out and it's not nearly as bad as you need, as, as you think it is. Um, so I think it's knowing your executive team too, and who, and well, your audience in general of who you're talking to and a, how they digest information, uh, and B you don't want to be the person who just presents problems, right. Um, especially when you're in house, because that is going to negate every bit of goodwill you ever, Right.
1: And I think what you're doing, John, is is probably a good lesson for a lot of people. It's taking a more proactive approach to compliance so that you're not reactively coming to them with a problem. You're educating them before there's a potential problem and sort of explaining, hey, here are the outcomes or the directions that I recommend. And not everything's going to require immediate action for every business. But the fact that everyone can be on the same page about it uh, will go a long way, especially in a year where you know I don't think a lot of companies want surprises, especially when it comes to Uh, ones that could um, have a cost associated with them or, you know, regulatory or brand compliance issues. So with that being said, I will give you both an opportunity to share any last thoughts with the audience today. That was a fast 45 minutes. Alex, you want to go first?
3: Sure. I guess, you know, what I would just say as a takeaway is um, try to leverage as much um, of your Outside advisors um, and other resources um, that allow you to either automate um, some of the compliance um, tasks on your plate or that get you the information you need to arm your business, the the business um, with, so that they have a sense of what they should be prioritizing. And, um, you know, as John said, you know, for those of you that are compliance professionals, um, learning how to talk to the people that are consuming your information is really important. And I think you know, outside lawyers are not the best at doing that, but it's something that I very much make a make it a point to do because just putting out the information if it's not going to be absorbed is is just is is not doing anything. And so there is definitely a way to communicate in a style. Um, that will make sense for your organization and, and finding it is is really going to be a key um, for you to be successful.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Alex. How about you, John?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, John, thank you for this opportunity. Alex, thank you for doing this uh, as well, because it's been great to hear from you. Um, I would say, again, like you have to understand your business. That's number one. You have to understand what the business is doing uh, and That's the one I think, again, to reiterate what Alex just said, like communication is absolutely key. We have all worked with attorneys or compliance people who knew their stuff forwards and backwards. And you never wanted that person in front of the client or the business because it would fall on deaf ears because their presentation style was so right. Um, So don't be that person. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's really easy to build those relationships to communicate better if you're taking care of the first part of understanding the business in a non-judgmental way to really just understand the business and how it works. And that's how you build those relationships and understand those communication styles. That Very and everything well is UDAP.
1: Yeah, that's right. Everything is you. Very well said, John. Well, as you know, you can find more from Alex and her team on the Venable blog or their newsletter and more from John on LinkedIn. Thank you both so much for your time today.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Comply Podcast. Many of the key topics of discussion today are highlighted in our annual State of Marketing Compliance Report, which I will drop for you in today's show notes. We also created a blog that highlights the key takeaways from this conversation that I'll share. And finally, if while listening to this, you realize you may need help automating and scaling your marketing compliance program. I'm also going to include a piece titled five signs. It's time to invest in a marketing compliance software. As always for the latest content on all things, marketing compliance, you can head to content.performline.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.